Um, all right, so here's what we're going to be dealing with um, this morning. We're in the last major section of the book of Isaiah. It's broken into three major sections. Um, the first is chapters 1 through 39, deals with the present day of Isaiah's uh, people and their rebellion and how God is preparing them for, for suffering and particularly for exile. Um, so it was real, it's all heavy stuff, right? It's like there's lots of difficulties in the first uh, part of this book. And then the second section really turns its attention to our hope in, in not ourselves or in our present circumstances, but in our Savior, in a, in a Savior who in Isaiah's day was yet to come, but in our day has come in Jesus Christ. And that's chapters 40 through uh, 55, I want to say, if I remember now. Um, and then we turn into the last section here, about chapter 56 to the end of the book in chapter 66, which really begins to look towards uh, an even more future uh, work of God in, in his people's lives. And so what we're looking at today in chapter 60 in particular, and then chapter 61 deals with, with Christ very explicitly, uh, but in chapter 60 in particular, we see a, a future that, that we have not yet experienced, that we will, um, but has not yet come to, to reality. And so uh, we're going to talk about the, the future ahead of us as believers in Jesus. And it's all good news if you believe in Jesus. That's, that's the good thing, right? It's all good news. And, and then chapter 61 will transition into how all of this is going to be possible um, and through his work and, and life. And so as we get into this, I think it's really easy for us to be, just live in the present world we live in, to be frustrated, uh, to be impatient, to be upset even, by all the things that are going on. We, we do live in a fallen world. We have to realize that, or otherwise we're going to be very disappointed. If we don't realize that the, that the world we live in now is a broken world that will one day be restored, um, we're, we're going we're gonna to have a really uh, difficult time processing what's going on. And while I, I don't think that it's good for us to pretend that hard things aren't happening in the world, because they are, um, we still need to keep our eyes firmly fixed on the reality that because of Jesus and all that he is for us and all that he's done for us, um, we should be, as followers of Christ, we should be optimistic people. In fact, we should be the most optimistic people in the world because we know what Christ has accomplished through his death and resurrection. And so when, when we look at the world, it can be discouraging, but for, for us who trust in Jesus, we know that our future is incredibly bright. And if we don't see that, we are missing the point of the Bible. And in fact, the Bible is um, a lot of things, but it's, it's most of all a story, a story of how God is redeeming his, his broken world. It's a story that we can break down into four chapters. We can call them, first chapter is creation. God made all of this. He made it for our our enjoyment. He made it for his glory. He created it all to be good and right. But, but it didn't last very long. In fact, that chapter is only Genesis 1 and 2. And then the rest of the Bible turns to a new chapter. And that chapter, the second chapter, is the fall. Uh, that we, uh, as human beings, have rebelled against our creator, God. 
and that we have walked our own way. And as a result, sin has entered the world, brokenness and death have entered into God's good world. And so much of the Bible is meant to explain that reality to us. That the Bible does not pretend that the world is rosy and wonderful. It's very, very honest about the brokenness in the world. But that's not where the chapters end, right? They don't end with the fall. They, they continue on and the Bible keeps telling us more and it tells us that there's a third chapter and that is the redemption of God's people through Christ. That's really where the whole Bible is going, right? To Jesus. Jesus is the center of the Bible. He's everything that the Old Testament looks forward to. He's everything the, the New Testament looks back towards. He is the point of the Bible. And he comes and he redeems a broken world. But, but that's not the last chapter, actually. The last chapter in the story of the Bible is the, story, uh, is the chapter of restoration, that God is actually going to take, excuse me, take what's broken and mend it, heal it, restore it back to, the, to what it was meant to be. And so now here's the thing. I, I say this, I use this analogy that we're all living in a perpetual middle school phase of life, right? Awkward, uncomfortable, not really sure of ourselves, right? That's where we live. But that's because we're in between redemption and restoration, we're in this awkward phase where we know the promises of God are true and that they, they are for us in the present reality, but they're not fully experienced and seen yet in our lives. And so we have to recognize that there is more to come that we have not yet seen. So that's what Isaiah 60 begins to take us through. And uh, it, it reminds me of a, a story in C.S. Lewis's um, Chronicles of Narnia. You guys are rolling your eyes because I said C.S. Lewis again. Sorry. Uh, you're like, I'm sick of that name. Um, he wrote a book. He wrote a series of children's books called Chronicles of Narnia. And one of them is called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. If you've ever read it, it's about, and if you haven't, it's been out for 50 years, so shame on you. But um, if, <laughs> if you've ever read it, it's about this voyage, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And the purpose of this voyage is to get to the ed edge of their world. It's a different world than ours. Um, to get to the edge of the world, to Aslan's country. And Aslan is the Christ figure in that story, series of stories. And they're trying to get to the very edge of the world, beyond their own world, to see Aslan. And they get to a point in the story where they can't go any further. Um, they, they just can't continue in their e enormous ship any further. And so there's a one character who uh, decides in a very... Uh, impetuous manner to jump out of the boat and continue on his own, leaving everybody else behind in this little boat. And he continues to sail further and further out to get to Aslan's country. He's basically like, if you guys aren't going to come, I'll just go myself. And, and here's the thing, that, that shows us something. It shows us that we need to have a, a, a spirit of like, I want to know more of God, right? I want to know more and I want to get out as far as I can. And Isaiah 60 is sort of like that little boat that's going to carry us further and further out. It's going to carry us to the very edge of time 
and even beyond time as we know it. And this passage is going to take us out of the current world we live in, a world, yes, of brokenness, of difficulties, uh, a world of fanatical terrorists and dysfunctional schools. Can I get an amen? Um, inoperable, can- sorry, Ray, Ray, where are you? Yeah. You know, you know. Uh, uh, inoperable cancer, right? All these horrible things that we live in. And, and, and it's going to take us out of that. And it's going to bring us to this world that's filled with happiness in Christ. So uh, let's, let's jump into it. And I'm excited to walk us through it. So uh, we're not going to look at every single verse. We can't. We just don't have the time. Uh, but we're going to hit the highlights. We're going to start in verse 1 through 7. And then we'll, we'll talk a little bit about what this is saying to us. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They are all gathered together. They come to you. Your sons come from afar your daughter shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exalt. Because of the abundance, the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah and all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense. They shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Naboeth shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar and I will beautify my beautiful house. All right, so here's here's where God is taking us first. Um, He's showing us something very simple, but he's using uh, the analogies of the time that Isaiah was writing in. They lived in a society where there were a lot of uh, most of the economy was animal-based, right? They had, your wealth was based off how many camels, how many sheep, how many this and that, right? We don't live in that world anymore. Um, but, but the idea here that's being portrayed is this, that because Christ is going to shine his light to help us to see who he is, what he's done, that's verses one through three, um, what we're ultimately going to see is a renewed world that is only happiness in Christ. It's hard to imagine that kind of a world where there's only happiness, but that's what we have to look forward to. That's what it means in verse five when it says, then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult. We're going to see a world that is so unlike the one we live in now, that is going to be purely happiness where nothing broken is going to enter into it, where, where we will not have any sorrow anymore. It's an amazing world, and, and it's one that actually Isaiah 60 and the end of Revelation, the book of Revelation 21, um, actually parallel each other quite nicely. So I want to take you quickly over there just to show you again, uh, maybe explain the same thing in a slightly different way. But if you look at verse 3 and 4, if I can get there here. 
Um, I'll just read it on the screen. How about that? That'll save us time. He says, and I heard, this is John, right? If you don't know anything about the book of Revelation, we, that's like the scariest book of the Bible, right? For most of us. Because um, there's a lot of things that we just don't understand. But when you get underneath it all, it really is a simple thing. It's showing us that Christ is going to win and he's going to bring us to a, a beautiful new home. And, and here's what he says. John said, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Now here's the key. It says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That's a world that we don't know right now, but it's the world that Christ is preparing for us, that he's going to create for his people. A world where there is no sorrow, sadness, loss, pain, hurt. There is only happiness in Christ. And the reason why there's happiness is because John shows us that it's, that it's God is with his people. Now, is God with us here and now? Of course. But there will be a more tangible experience of that in the coming days as we see Christ establish his kingdom and reset and, and just recreate what, what's been broken. He's, he's actually going to be present and visible to our eyes and we will have no sorrow in our world. That's the renewed world we're going to see. It's one of only happiness. Let's go back to Isaiah 60. And we're going to skip down a bit here just for the sake of time. Um, we're going to go down to verse 17 through, 20, uh, through 18 to look at the, the next thing. It says, Instead of bronze, I will bring gold. Instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. Instead of stones, iron. I will make your overseers peace and your taskmasters righteousness. Violence shall no more be heard in your land. Devastation or destruction within your borders. You shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. Here's what this is telling us. It's giving us a glimpse again into this future world that we will experience in Christ. And this renewed world, uh, first we're told it will be only happiness. Secondly, here we're being told that it will be only good things. Only good things. And here's how he describes it. He says, instead of bronze, I'll bring gold. Instead of iron, I'll bring silver, right? He, he just kind of is basically saying, you have something and I'm gonna make it better. Uh, you, you might have bronze, which is worth something, but it's not worth as much as gold. You have iron now, but, you know, iron's worth something too, but not as much as silver. And then he says, again, he's just going through all these commodities, these things that they have, and they're like, hey, all of this has value, but there are things that have greater value that God is going to bring to us. And what he's saying is, is this, that he's only going to give us what is best, what is good, what is right, and ultimately what will make us uh, rejoice in him. He, he's going to provide us in verse 18, it says he's going to provide us with a land that has no more violence, that has no de devastation or destruction. 
We're going to live in a world that has nothing but peace, security, hope, and joy. And that's where Revelation also takes us. If you go to the next verse here, Revelation 21, uh, 27, it says, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, it, it being the, the new world that God is making for us, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who's, who are written in the Lamb's book of life. In other words, what he's saying is this, is that this world that Christ is creating for us will have nothing bad in it. It'll be happiness and it'll be good. This is hard for us to imagine. It's like we just have to sort of trust that the Bible is true on these things. Now, there's one more thing I want to show you from uh, Isaiah 61, 60, rather, and then we'll get into 61. If we go down to... Um, 19 through 22. Here's what it says. The sun shall be no more, your light by day, nor uh, for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light. And your days of mourning shall be ended. Your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. The least one shall become a clan, and the smallest one a mighty nation. I am the Lord. In its time, I will hasten it. So again, he's saying, this isn't yet. In its time, this will happen. Now, what is he telling us in these last verses of chapter 60? Well, he's telling us that this renewed world will be the display of God's glory. Now, here's, here's why that's important. The reason why so many problems exist in our world is because we are glory thieves. We're trying to steal God's glory. We're trying to take what only God should have namely fame, honor, glory, power, and all the rest. And we're trying to grasp those things. We've always been trying to do that since our fall onward. We've, we've been trying to grasp God's glory. You see it in the very beginning of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3, when the serpent enters into the garden to tempt Adam and Eve with this fruit that God had forbidden them to eat. His, his main pitch, the primary sales pitch for them to, to buy into this is this, that God knows if you eat this fruit, you will be like him. You will be like God. In other words, the, the pitch that, we, that we're given as we are tempted to sin is if I do this, I'll actually be able to grasp a little bit of who God is for myself. In the renewed world that Christ is creating, there will be no more power grabs there will be no more glory thieves. There will only be the display of God's glory. And when God's glory is on display, then things are what they should be, what they were always meant to be. If you look back at Revelation 21, this time verse 22 through 26, here's how John sees this playing out. And you'll see a very similar wording here. He says, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. 
The lamb is Jesus, by the way, in Revelation. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. It says, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. So this is the picture that we're given in the bookends of the Bible, right? This, this broken world will be recreated into a glorious world that, the, that there was always meant to be. It was always meant to be a world of pure happiness, of only good, and where God gets all the glory. And we have busted that up through rebellion and sin, and we have brought about this need for redemption. So now that, that's the picture of the, the future for us. But here's the thing. We as Christians are not just merely living for the future. We actually get to, get to have a taste of this even now. And we, we actually see that begin to transition as we get into chapter 61. Chapter 61 takes us through Um, how all of this new world is possible for us. And and so as we look at verse, we're just going to look at a a few verses here. Again, for the sake of time, I I encourage you to read it all as you have time today. We're going to look at the first three verses, and then we're going to look at uh, the last couple of verses, just the bookends of chapter 61. But I think they'll give us uh, the heart of it. So if you read along here in verse 61.1, it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Now, you might be wondering, as as I, I was earlier this week, going, what is the connection between these? Are we just completely changing the subject Or is there some way that these chapters relate to each other? And I I think they absolutely do. They absolutely do. And it might not seem clear on how until we realize what Jesus has to say about these verses in Isaiah 61. See, I think what's important for us to understand is that this new world that we're uh, being shown in chapter 60 is actually only possible because of the redemptive work of Christ. And what's amazing is that chapter 61, 1 and 2 are quoted directly by Jesus in the very first sermon he ever preached, his first public sermon. And it's, it's found in chapter uh, 4 of Luke. And if you have a Bible, you want to go there real quick, or they'll be up on the screen here as well. But Luke 4, starting in verse 16 through 21. Um, This is again, right after Jesus is tempted 
in the wilderness, withstands that temptation, proving himself to be the perfect man, unlike Adam, unlike us. And then he begins his ministry. And the first thing he does, according to Luke, in his ministry, is he goes to preach to his home synagogue, his home church. That's where verse 16 picks it up. It says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now that's where he stops reading. Jesus reads those verses, one and two. And then it says in verse 20, he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, So no commentary, didn't say a word about it. He just read it. And then he sits down and says, all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. They're just like, okay, what, what do you want us to know about this? What do you want us to know about Isaiah 61, 1 and 2? And here's his sermon. It's awesome. It's one sentence. And you all wish you were in that church right now. Um, He preaches a one sentence sermon and it's the best sermon you'll ever hear preached. He began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's it. What is he saying? He's saying, today, the passage I just read is fulfilled because I'm here. In other words, he's the one who, is, who this is talking about. He's the one that God is preparing people's hearts for. This spirit of the Lord resting upon someone who would be anointed to proclaim good news to the poor. The poor in, in all forms, spiritual, poor, everything, right? The people who need to know Jesus. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is Jesus. This is the ministry of Jesus Christ. And that's what Isaiah 61 is about. It's not about anything but Jesus. It's all about him. So here's what this means. Here's what it means for us. Here's what it means for for as we sit here. The future for us has to start when we trust in him. But listen, it's not just a future that we have to look forward to. It's a present reality. It's not fully experienced. That's true. But it's still true. It begins now. This new world that God promises us can start right now. Why? Because the ministry of Jesus Christ is to set free those who are captive to sin. He he exists to show the blind, give them their sight and show them who he is. He's there to set us free. That means this, that when we trust in Jesus, though we live in a broken world, though life will never ever be exactly what 
God intends for it to be until he does all this work that we're talking about. It's never going to be fully there while we sit here now. However, that work begins now. Our, the sins that are clinging to our hearts can be broken. Those chains can be broken. The things that are absolutely devastating us can be brought to healing and restoration. Those of us who are mourning the loss of one thing or another will be comforted in Christ. We, We don't have the fullness of this new world, but we do have the beginning of it in our hearts, in the church, in this moment as we sit here and live in Christ by the power of his spirit. There is a present truth in all of these things. We, we need to keep our eyes on that because it's, it's easy for us to just get so down and out and upset and burdened by the brokenness of the world without really dwelling on the fact that Christ, even as he promises this new world in Isaiah 60, he follows it up in 61 with this, with this reminder that the Messiah is going to begin this work through healing and releasing and recovering sight to people who are lost. So that means that our brokenness can begin to be restored. It won't be fully experienced, of course, until we're in his presence but we get to see some of the fruit of his work in our lives. And that's actually where we go in in 61, verse 10 and 11. Uh, As we read these these last couple of verses, I I just hope that we can show what what Christ is intending to do, even in this in-between, awkward, middle school phase of, of living life. He says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God. For he has clothed me in the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robes of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress. I'm glad we don't have to dress like this at our weddings anymore. Um, And a bride adorns herself with jewels. That's okay. The headdress thing for me is not cool, but... um, Then it says this, for as the earth brings forth its sprouts and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before the nations. You see what the, the promise here is? As we turn to Jesus, the liberating power of the gospel is given to us and it actually transforms us and makes us fruitful for him. That, that's where all of this is going. Like God is not just going to keep us where we are in all this brokenness and destruction. He's actually going to take us and improve us and grow us and mature us as we walk through life on our way to this glorious new home. We don't have to throw up our hands and, and just go, well, I guess I'm just stuck like this. No, God loves us and he's intending to work in us. And he, he has a present power at work in his, in his people through the gospel that transforms us and makes us fruitful. So we, we don't need to walk through life pretending that this world is perfect because we know it's not. We can just point to anything and show that that's true. 
We also don't have to walk through life and, and act as if there's no good in this world because that's not true either. We can be optimistic that this world, though it's not what it is going to be, it's, it is growing and changing through Jesus as he works in his transforming power in us through the church. And, and listen, that's why the church has been sent on mission. We've been sent on a mission to tell people about this liberating gospel because without Jesus, there is only brokenness. But with him, with him in our hearts, we can see growth and change and praise rise up in people's hearts and, and sins, even generational sins be broken and people can walk in newness of life. We, we have that present reality even while we're still waiting for the future um, ultimate realization of these things. And so we as Christians can be optimistic. Jesus has been transforming us. He will one day fully transform us and the world we live in. But we get a taste of it now because Jesus is uh, active and alive. He lived a perfect life. He died in the place of sinners. He rose again from the dead to give us all of these things, all of his freeing power and, and his power to open our eyes to see him. I hope that you know that, that liberating power. If you don't, you need to tr turn to Jesus and trust him. If you don't know how to do that, you can talk to me or talk to someone who invited you here. For those of you who do know this transforming power, it's, it's a call for us to continue to bring it out to others. Tell more and more people because everyone needs to know these things and we want as many people as possible to get in on this. We want, we want everyone in the world to hear the good news of Jesus and, and what he can do right here and now, but also what he will do fully and finally in a, in a future day. And here's the frustrating thing. We don't know when that future day is. And anyone who tells you they do is a liar. Don't listen to them. Because everyone who's ever tried has been proven wrong. In fact, I think it's setting us back a ways because now God's going, I can't pick that date because then I'd prove that dude right. right? So stop, stop guessing and just let Jesus come back when he comes back. Anyways, that's, that's my, that was a side note. <laughs> uh, let's pray. Let's, let's conclude there. <laughs> and uh, we'll, Here's what we'll do. We'll sing to the Lord tonight, uh, today. rather. We'll praise his name through song. We have communion set up as well. If you'd like to go and remember the, the liberating power of the gospel that's been given to you through Christ. His death on the cross has been applied to your life. You get to remember that through this, this picture of the, the bread and the cup and remember his death and his body shed and his blood shed rather for us. So we would encourage you to do that. You can do that as you feel led. As we sing, you can get up and go to the table. And we've got the bread in a cup underneath the juice, so they're kind of stacked on top of each other. So take both cups that way. I and mean, then there's a box next to each of those tables that you can drop offerings and tithes in if you've come with those and would like to do that as well. So with all that in front of us, let's pray and we'll ask the Lord uh, to, to meet us in this time. Father, thank you that, that you have sent Jesus into our world, that you have... Uh, brought about a liberating power that we cannot produce in ourselves. We pray, Lord, that we would trust it, we'd lean in it, 
into it. We would, we would believe in it and that we would live optimistic lives knowing that even though we live in a broken world that is imperfect, you are working in us and delivering us to a perfect world and we will see it one day. We pray you would come soon, Jesus. We really do. We pray you would come soon and we ask that you would, uh, in the meantime, prepare our hearts for that day. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.